0: Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey,
1: what's happening, Archons? It's me, Scuzzy and My mom calls me Alex, and I'm joined by my pal, Boulevard Paper Fight. We call him Coach. What's happening, Blake?
0: Yo, what's going on,
1: guys? Unfortunately, the heart and soul of Help From Future Self, our pal Rick, the Wheeling Key Forger, could not be with us this week. He's got a bit of a sore throat. So best wishes to Rick, and we hope to have you back very, very soon. Get well soon, buddy. Yes, sir. But uh, the show must go on, and as it goes on, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. My goodness.
0: Yeah, we really do.
1: As we normally do, we're going to start off with a little bit of news. We like to discuss these topics. We don't like to spend too much time on them. This is, of course, a casual KeyForge podcast. We try and do a little bit of everything, but we don't want to spend too much time on any one given topic. But the big news, of course, this week is twofold. The Grand Championships have been announced. There's going to be an event happening in Germany, and Italy, and Spain, and probably most relevant to folks listening to this, in the United States at the Nova Open on August 29th through September 2nd in Washington, D.C. The format for that two-day event, Triad. So I'm just going to read off the rules to Triad and then ask you a question about this, Blake. The way Triad works is each player has three decks that they can use throughout the tournament. Each round, each player chooses one of their opponent's decks to bench, Uh, making that deck unusable for that match. I believe that does not happen by looking at the actual deck list. It's just by house.
0: Yes, I believe you're correct as well.
1: When a player wins a game, they must switch to their other deck for the rest of the match. This means that a player must win a game with each of their non-bench decks to win the match. That's a cool format. Let me ask you this, Blake. You're walking into a triad event, and maybe we'll get the opportunity to do this together at some point. Yeah, that would be cool whether locally or if we make it to a vault tour event or something else like that are you bringing three isn't it triad sealed seven? though it doesn't it's say triad sealed here
0: oh it just says triad
1: doesn't even say triad i think it's a triad
0: sealed if i'm not mistaken but let's let's attach it or attack it from both both angles
1: so i'm unsure from reading this whether or not we're talking about triad sealed or triad archon which would be you bring your three decks Triad sealed. How do you choose which house to eliminate? I mean, I think the obvious one is if you look across the uh, board and your opponent is sitting there with three Drex and one of them is Dis Shadows. That's that's the bait, right? Like that's the one they want you to count out, but might also actually be their hot deck in a sealed scenario.
0: I definitely think for Dis Shadows would be my my prime two houses I'm looking for if both of them exist on one Archon. Then that's definitely going to be the one I will choose, probably nine times out of 10. Um, I mean, that's the only one I actually, I don't even think nine times out of 10, I think 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. That'll be the one I choose. The other thing is, if there's shadows and maybe two others, I would want to get rid of the shadows, probably even over the disc because of the fact that there is a lot more steel in the shadow side of things. Uh, not so much compared to Coda, obviously, but. Those would be the prime suspects of decks I do not want to play against. I think. How about for you, Alex? What would you be looking to get rid of?
1: Uh, Shadows Disc, man. Uh, it's 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 the safe bet. I mean, yeah. there's just so many things that can mess up your game coming from those houses. Um, now, conversely, if this were to be an Archon Triad event where you get to pick the decks that you bring with you, it's obvious that you would bring a Shadows Disc deck as bait. That seems like it's just a given. The question is, do you bring three Shadows Disc decks?
0: I don't know. If it's triad and it's open to everything and you can bring your deck, then you're bringing Call of the Archons into it, in which case you would not know that a deck is a Call of the Archons deck, potentially just from looking at the Archon cards. So you actually now have a whole new level of psychology going into this. Like, can you actually tell if it's a Archon from the Coda side or AOA? Because I mean, there are some Archon arts that did not exist before. Like, I believe that that corkscrew body that spirals that did not exist in Call of the Archon, so you'd know if you saw one of those that that potentially could be an AoA versus Coda. But, I mean, if you literally don't know what set it's from, I think that makes the the decision. doesn't change that much, but it, it definitely can uh, do some shenanigans with potency, especially if you're thinking about decks that could be playing something like a Martian Generosity Key Abduction, or if they're playing a Heart of the Forest deck, some of those more uh, interesting shenanigan-type decks that could be very powerful those could always be you don't see them because you don't know what house they are or what set they're from.
1: I know I've said this before on the show, but I really feel like when we we someday sit down to write the sort of grand map of the archetypes of Keyforge deck, you'll have your rush deck and you'll have your control deck and then you'll have your shenanigans. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we also wanted to highlight the fact of a very exciting announcement um that came about on Reddit the other day, and that announcement is that there's going to be a new way to play Keyforge online. It's called Archon Arena, and it's being developed by a number of figures from the Keyforge community. We've got Stronglink, who is the guy who created the Crucible tracker, which is a great extension that tracks your wins and losses on the Crucible. We've got Corathan, who is the guy who made the Dex of Keyforge website, as well as Dunkoro and Ira, who are folks people know from around the online Keyforge community. Really interesting stuff. They posted some alpha screenshots. Um, that show off uh, the fact that, one, you'll be able to play, apparently, AOA decks on this new application. Also looks like it's going to be sort of a, a kind of a different layout, different setup than the one we are accustomed to with the Crucible. So that's very exciting indeed for folks like myself, who have not gotten around to getting set up on uh, a tabletop simulator, but are interested in the possibilities of playing Age of Ascension online, and perhaps a new tool that operates in a different way from the venerable uh, Crucible.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting. And I actually got some news from uh, my man, Dan at Sanctimonious. He shared with me that apparently the Crucible has now been given to open source so that anyone can help create it now. And apparently, now that JDL has decided to not have so much control over it, the other creator with him, I cannot remember his name right now, he is actually open sourcing it and getting some people uh, like a team basically on to help get it going and get AOA into it. So I think it's going to be a situation very soon where we have two online platforms and we're going to see which one is the preferred one and which one falls to the wayside.
1: That's going to be super interesting. Of course, more options, always better for the game, always better for the community, um, mm-hmm. more development, more people putting in work. And of course we have yet to see what will happen when and if an official Online Keyforge application comes online. Exciting times for the game of Keyforge. Indeed, it is. So, one last thing, and I'm kind of springing this on you because it just occurred to me. Um, sure. There's been some speculation around the introduction of new houses in Keyforge because we saw some official merch which seemed to have places on it for additional house logos. But, uh, you know, no, no revelation what those might be or even if, in fact, they will be something that comes about in the course of the next couple of months. Have you given any thought to that?
0: Yeah, I thought about it. I've, I've heard all the rumors. Um, everyone thinks that Gen Con at the end of this month, beginning of the next, will be the most likely place for something like that to happen as it is the biggest convention that occurs for gaming and whatnot. So that's what uh, everyone is speculating, that we could hear about it. And I think it's cool and exciting. And I mean, I'm just, it's just all about like, what are the themes of these potential two new houses based on that revealed art going to be? Cause uh, I think it'd be really cool. And I mean, Gen Con again, seems like a likely place that it would happen just because again, that's when apparently these game Genic where these kind of art reveals that had these two slots available became uh, known and they're apparently launching there. So that would be a way that uh, we could see. So it's only a couple of weeks, and we'll probably have some more clarity on all the speculation that has been going around the internet in the KeyForge community. What about you?
1: Um, I only have one thing to say, and that's vampires. Give me some vampires in KeyForge. I want some vampires. I don't care what they do. I don't I care how undead. they operate.
0: The undead idea. Which would, which I guess, would have vampires as part of it.
1: Vampires, zombies, all that nonsense. That's a, that's a that's a popular archetype and one that might work very well within the game. Of course, it could be something entirely different. We have no idea. It'll be interesting to see what unfolds over the course of the next couple of months. Like I just said, exciting times for the game of KeyForge. So. Also exciting times here at Help from Future Self because we're going to be introducing some new segments over the course of the next couple of episodes. Um we've been sticking with kind of our standard format over the last little while. We do a little bit of news, we do an over under on a card that's overperforming or underperforming for us. We have a little topic discussion, we do a little advice segment and then, you know, we're, we're out of here. We decided that we wanted to switch things up and do some regular segments that aren't going to happen every episode, but that will rotate through and so that we can keep the uh, podcast nice and fresh for all of you listeners out there. And thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your week to uh, listen to us chat about the game of Keyforge. We got a new one. You've heard us refer to Blake as coach, and this is why he's going to drop some science on us. This is a segment we like to call Coach's Corner, where Blake gives us a little bit of perspective from his Keyforge viewpoint. So, Blake, what have you got for us this week in Coach's Corner?
0: All right, so uh as I am hot off the win of a sealed tournament last night in which I took down my man Skuzzy Gruen in the final match and it was a fantastic game. But it was a good game. It was. I really enjoyed it. But I've noticed that I've started to have a process when I'm evaluating sealed decks and I have been having great success with it and I find it just sets me up to know how to play going through this process. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of, because I mean, sealed is the one format where you don't get to have the reps while you're bringing in a deck or a familiarity with it. So I think being able to identify the strengths and even the weaknesses of your deck is a very important thing going in. So, you know, when you get into certain situations, how you can kind of pivot or what lines of play you're looking for in order to have success.
1: Makes good sense.
0: Yes. Uh, so right off the top, the very first thing I'm looking to do is is not even just analyze the Archon card. I kind of looked that over real quick, but I actually just want to crack that pack right away and start looking at the deck. And the very first thing I do is start doing counts. Uh, number one is I go creature count. I want to see if there's a good amount of creatures or not, because that'll let me know how I need to be looking at the board state or establishing a board. Uh, and I'm looking for an 18 plus creature count in sealed And I'd like a somewhat even distribution between the three houses. So no matter what I'm calling, I have the potential to have a hand that can create a good board state, especially in an Age of Ascension world. Mm -hmm. The next thing I'm doing is uh, I'm looking for ember pips. How many ember are printed on the cards itself? If there is less than 10, then that probably means that you're going to need a bigger creature board out there. And uh, as a result, that means that your creatures are going to be used to reap. So if your opponent has ways to stun your creatures and reap hate, that's going to definitely hurt you with a deck that has less than 10 Ember Pip on it. So that's uh those are the first two things. And then after that, I'm starting to look at uh, what is the, the creature or board control. And again, that goes with creature count. Because if you can have a good board, then you know that you're going to be able to also deal with their board potentially. But on the flip side, if you have a lot of cards that help with creature control, you are going to be able to play those. You're probably going to be getting a pip off of them most of the time, and then your board is not going to have to interact as much with theirs, and you can use those to reap and further do the thing that we all need to do, which is gain ember to forge those keys. And then lastly, the, the thing I'm looking for is the actual ember control. So um, the, w- the reason why you need to know your ember control, obviously, is how are you going to put people off keys? That is probably to me, might be the most important aspect of a deck is knowing what cards are going to help you stop your opponent from forging to allow you to get ahead in the race. So uh, you just need to figure out what those are. And sometimes they seem like they're not very good. And it is possible when you're not getting to choose the makeup of your deck in terms of things you want to have there and you're selecting the deck that consists of that, you're going to have to make work what is available to you. So I'm going to go right into kind of last night's experience because i had a few things on there that were really great and some things that uh were not amazing but but really helped and one of the ones that i feel like if you have mars in your deck mm-hmm. i feel like most people get a mars needs amber it feels like a very common card that you see as amber control in your mars that you're not super excited about uh have you had this experience alex you see that card quite a bit
1: i do actually i don't think i've gotten a single mars deck in age of ascension that doesn't have Mars needs amber
0: yeah so Um, The reason why I like that is you got to start looking for the combos that work with it and you got to be kind of crafting this. So you need to know what is in your deck that's going to put damage out there. Is it going to be your board? Are you going to be looking to maybe not do board removal, but actually just put some damage out there to help you set up a turn when your opponent is going to be able to be in check and you have to keep that into consideration. So sometimes you have to be like, okay, I can't call Mars this turn necessarily because I have my Mars Needs Ember. I don't want to play right now because they're only at four Ember. But next turn, there's a very high chance that they're going to be at six plus and I'm going to need to deal with that. So you got to start strategizing. How can I get the damage out there if this is the only card I have to put them off a key? And you got to start thinking and utilizing the cards available to you. And then on the flip side, if you know that's one of your only cards and you don't have it, you're going to be like, okay, I need to draw into that and prepare for it next turn, which means you kind of need to choose a house That can potentially distribute damage as well as can get cards out of your hand. So you have a higher chance of drawing that card. So, really, when you know what cards are gonna help you get to where you need to be, you have to take that into consideration in Sealed because you're gonna have to start figuring out how many cards can I pitch to get a draw into what could potentially get my card. And you may not get it and you may have to Mm -hmm. give up that key. That does Mm -hmm. exist, but you need to know your odds and your card draw when doing this. And the same goes if you identify any uh, combo potentials in your deck. For example, um, you may have something that is like a double gray rider combo, a drummer not ganger chieftain in a sealed, you may get lucky pull something like that. Um, any of those cool like Ronnie wrist clocks and Exhum things like that that can be really powerful. And you got to be aware of these coming up. And if you know they're coming, you need to be putting yourself in a position to draw them more efficiently. So sometimes that doesn't mean just reaping out on a board. Regardless if you can go and check that way, if your opponent's going to go ahead of you sometimes, you may not want to do that. So obviously all of this is in a vacuum in this discussion, but they're all things you need to be considering and looking for those lines of play as you go. Now, Alex, have you, when you go and look at a sealed deck, what are kind of the things that you generally look for in your sealed deck when you're evaluating um. what could be?
1: Very first scan of the deck list is usually me looking for cards that I am unfamiliar with. Um, I have a decent card pool knowledge. I play enough Keyforge that I've encountered, I think, most cards in the wild, if not all cards in the wild. So if there's anything I'm not 100% sure on, I'm going to take a moment to pause with it as I'm sleeving up the deck before the first round starts. Um, I just need to to, to get a real understanding of what it is and what impact it may have on my play. Fortunately, the cards that you're unlikely to have seen before are usually ones that are in the rare category, and oftentimes rares are very specific cards. They're not ones that are going to come up constantly during gameplay and may not, in fact, be a huge impact on the overall flow of the game. Now, that said, my next thing is much like you, creature count. Got to see how many creatures you have. And I think uh, my general number is if it's under 14, I'm looking at the same things you are. What am I going to do about having this low creature count? Are the actions that I have access to enough to make up for that? Do those amber counts. See if you can figure out exactly what it is that this deck needs to do to win. And actually being able to boil that down is real hard, especially for me because I find that it takes me a good four or five games with a deck to really get that feel for how it plays and what its paths to victory are. So Sealed is the ultimate challenge in that regard, because you're going right into a game. You got two minutes, then it's time to go. I love that, but it's oftentimes a thing where I feel like I underperform, I misplay, I don't necessarily get everything I should out of a deck, because it takes me a little while longer to really get the grasp on it.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with all that. That that is a thing. I find the more I go with... I find actually two things. The more I go with a deck, the more I understand the plays. But I'm also... I start to sometimes get maybe a little bit careless and go a little bit faster, which is maybe not the right thing. And one thing that I always say is, um, especially if you're unfamiliar with a deck, uh, pro tip right here is sealed. You get an extra 10 minutes of gameplay. So maybe just slow down just a little bit and kind of condition yourself to take a little bit of extra time just to really think out everything that's happening because you have to take into consideration in Sealed as well uh, the fact that you don't know what's in someone's deck and if they have something like a too much to protect and they're running Shadows, uh, or or, sorry, if they're running Shadows, they could have the potential of having a too much to protect. So sometimes you got to be careful and pump the brakes on that Ember just to not put them in a position, especially when you're on that two to third key um it can really make things a a little bit dicey so you you do have to play around certain things that could have the potential of coming up and that sometimes makes it really hard because you could be misplaying but technically it's only from your opponent's standpoint that you're doing that because you're actually playing around something that you may or may not have to deal with and that's one of the cool things about sealed there's that psychological battle of the unknown
1: Mm Hmm. indeed now A non-sealed format that you got to participate in this past weekend, I unfortunately was not able to make it out to the event, is Reversal. Now, for those of you who've never played Reversal, it is the format in which you bring a deck that you give to your opponent and they have to try and beat you with the deck that you hand them. So, obviously, what you're looking for is a deck that is not good. You don't want to bring your Superfly TNT to a Reversal event. You want to bring the worst trash that you have in your collection. The problem, I think, with this, having played the format a couple of times previously, is it's very hard to actually find a truly garbage tier deck in Keyforge. They're out there, but most things fall into the middle. And oftentimes a deck that seems bad only seems bad in the context of playing against good or great decks. And when it's actually matched up with something around its own power level, it's not so bad at all. So tell me, Blake, how did you select a deck for the reversal event that you played at this weekend?
0: It was very, very hard. And I was I had one deck that I went with. It just, it just came up no matter what metric I was looking at. It was either the bottom or the bottom three. And I was evaluating my decks through my ToyWiz account, which I like for sorting everything through different uh, rankings and just being able to hit, click a button basically and it reconfigures the list. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of looked at uh, which one had low AERC was one thing. And then I went for consistency, And then I went for the expected win ratio and just kind of seeing what kept coming up near the bottom. And then I went into a deeper dive and actually looked at the list. And I kind of was looking for something that had a lower creature count, uh, ideally less than 10 ember printed as pips. And then I started looking at was the ember control really low as well. I was trying to like ember control being low was a big one because that's one Mm -hmm. thing that if you don't have, uh, it doesn't help. Like expected ember, if you have enough creatures, you can get away with that. If you have... Uh, enough creatures, again, you can deal with creature control. So for me, the Ember was the one X factor that if it doesn't exist, there's no way of making up for it. So that was the most important stat at being low for me. But expected Ember, again, I didn't want that too high because then they could just play around certain things and just pretty much dish out cards and you get Ember. So that was kind of what I looked at. And that's what I chose my deck. I ended up choosing this deck that, um, well, I'd actually had some play experience with it. My friend and I both played it. We just kind of did a couple games with it and he disliked playing it. He was like, this is really boring to play, man. Like, I don't want to play this deck anymore. He actually said that. And we've played, I was teaching him the game and we've played a numerous decks. And that was the only time he ever said he didn't want to play with a deck uh, like ever again. So Mm -hmm. that was also a big flag for me. And, uh, yeah, it worked out well for me.
1: Yes, I believe you won that event, so you're up two events this week that you came out on top of. Congratulations to you, sir. Thank I'm a you. big fan of Reversal as a format because I think, one, it provides you with the opportunity to use a deck that you might not otherwise play at any other event. Agreed. Give you uh, an opportunity to use something that uh, maybe is just sitting in a box that you have of KeyForge decks that are unloved. Additionally, I like the analysis aspect of it. You get handed something and you got to look at it and go, okay, They obviously think this is bad. Is there something they missed? Is there a combination that isn't good here? Is this deck actually good, but they don't know how to pilot it? And that's why they think it's bad. Did they go purely on the fact that it had a poor SAS rating? And actually, it's pretty good and has lots of synergies. These are all things that factor into what happens in a game reversal. And that's why I really dig the format. I think that there's a lot of different aspects to it that if you're a good player and a skilled player... You can really take advantage of and that helps deepen your understanding of the game
0: yeah i mean we had a few things that uh, a few players that did a few things that you just mentioned uh our pal marco he uh he actually ran a seven playgrats deck because it was very <laughs> complex to play and so he had pretty good success with it because people just couldn't figure out how to properly pilot that deck and it worked out to his advantage i don't know his record i think it might have been two it might have been three and one or he went two and two i can't remember but he said it was really cool because it was too complex for people and then um some people i know just chose their lowest sass deck which i didn't like that i need i need more of the information than that so that one ruled out for me uh but the hardest deck i actually played against was uh with a newcomer to the group our man jens who's a really good player for just joining he's only been playing for a month and he brought this just terrible deck like i i just couldn't win with it and he beat me and that was my one loss that day was uh to his fantastic, uh, horrible deck. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I noticed as well with it was, um, I found the reason why I felt I had successes. Cause I actually just used my sealed approach is I actually just grabbed it, looked at the deck list and kind of went through it. Like looked for, I kind of went creature count, Ember and Ember control. Those are mm-hmm. the three things. Cause there's less time and just kind of proves the deck quickly before we got started to just get an idea of what I was working with. And I found that really helped. So Doing that is why I also think it helps is just being able to look at deck lists and look at decks and try and identify the pathways to power is a is a really good skill to develop in. And just, if you get a new deck, just kind of try and identify that right away before you do anything. I find it's a good practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: And I just have one last thing. Um, I, I found one really cool thing about reversal is you can even bring sometimes a deck if you don't really have a truly bad deck you have a deck that you're like i'm not really sure about this deck is seeing other people play your deck is a Mm -hmm. really cool aspect of reversal because they everyone thinks differently and they may see some connections and do some cool tricks and combos with your deck that you didn't consider or didn't see and so having someone else do that and seeing their perspective of how they would ideally play a deck is a really cool thing to see because it gives you more insight on your your own product absolutely
1: absolutely We're coming up on the end of the show. We like to end things with the titular segment. Help Help
0: from Future Self. self.
1: In which we say a thing that we learned about KeyForge over the course of the last week. I'm going to kick things off. I got a good one. Um, This came from just yesterday when we were playing Sealed at One Stop Games here in Vancouver. The lesson I learned was if your deck does not have a board wipe or even a soft board wipe, you know a, a bouncing death quark or something like that that allows you to do some some targeted take out some big pieces of your opponent's board you absolutely cannot afford not to fight with whatever big bodies you have you must constantly be on top of your opponent's board because if you let them start to build up with say, God forbid a sanctum board, it's over for you. And both the games I lost yesterday to you, Blake and to Jens was because you got a sanctum board going and my deck did not have an answer and you were able to reinforce. You were able to capture, you were able to put armor onto your guys. You were able to take full advantage of the fact that I had no way to clear your guys off. And then you basically were able to take it down to the line and there was nothing I could do about it. So Be mindful of your opponent's board, and if you don't have a way to reset the game with a board clear, then do not let them build.
0: That's definitely a good one, yeah. And that's, uh, again, being aware of your deck's weaknesses and uh, how you're going to combat that is a a very integral part of the Keyforge game.
1: Absolutely. Do you have a help from Future Self?
0: I do, and mine also came... Not just from last night, but I I had seen this happening. This what I'm going to talk about, and then I did it <laughs> myself. So um, it's one of those things where, and I just make it, it makes a very valuable lesson. So sometimes you need to slow down and not get so excited when you're mm-hmm. playing Keyforge. That, that's what I learned is is there's a lot of cards that exist that have a lot of uh, excitement and they're kind of a hot topic. So when you get it, you get super excited to play it. And I find that excitement for these key cards lead to some misplays sometimes. And you just want to get it out there and and slap it down on the table and be like, bam, I got this card. Like, now what? So for me, what I did was um, I actually had a great combo last night was I had a Pit Lord, which is a contentious card that is loved. Actually, no, it's pretty much hated by most people. They feel it's it's a guaranteed game losing card because you can just get locked into your your dis house and not be able to get yeah, out of it. Was it was despised and lose the game.
1: back when the game first came out. Everybody basically said, "Do not play the Pit Lord." Instant discard.
0: Yeah, and for me, I found a line of play that was really cool, and it was a Pit Lord and an Onyx Knight because it had the odd power, so I could play it even just for two Ember and then get rid of it right away and board wipe with my Onyx Knight, which was a, a really fun combo that I utilized to great success in almost every game, but. What happened was last night, and this lesson came against you, sir, was when we were playing our game, you may have remembered, we got to the end there, things were going a little bit dicey, there was some captured ember on my side, and you had a a soul snatcher out, so getting rid of creatures was uh, a dangerous play with getting people in check, and there was a moment when you were about to be in check, and I could have done a trick where I kind of played my pit lord and wiped and allowed some Ember for me, a huge burst and give you a couple and not put you in check. But the problem was, is I delayed doing that because I was overthinking the excitement of the Pit Lord. And then they came and I played the Pit Lord and I almost got screwed because I was like, oh my God, if I play the Onyx Knight right now, I'm going to activate Soul Snatcher and you just got a bigger board than you had before when I was originally considering this. So you're actually going to get a ton of Ember. And so I realized I put myself in a corner by playing with the Pit Lord and not actually executing the game plan. And so slow down, everyone just slow down. All right. Don't get too excited with any cool combos you have or anything like that. Really think through what you have and figure out the line of play that makes sense. And if it comes down to it, just discard those cards. Sometimes if they're going to potentially have you lose the game, doing something cool is not always worth it unless you're playing casually, then it's always worth it.
1: Oftentimes the best play to do something cool. If you're playing in a casual game, however, That's all the time that we have this week for help from future self. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. You can find me under that name on Twitter and on Instagram. Blake, where can folks find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter is the best place to reach out at BLVD paper fight. And you can find me on YouTube as well, where I'm doing a lot of sealed deck evaluations. So you can actually see firsthand how I evaluate a deck. Like I went over today and how
1: I look at the cards. Shout out to Rick, the wheeling key forger. We'll have him back again very soon. Until next time, stay forging.